So, this afternoon, I thought we would look at the four central or essential verses of the Bhagavad Gita. These are found uh, in the middle of the text. Um, in chapter 10, if you have a book you want to follow along, this is uh, chapter 10, which is called The Opulence of the Absolute, in 8, 9, 10, 11. So these are sometimes called, uh, there's a Chatur Shloki Bhagavatam, the Srimad Bhagavatam, in four verses. So some people have called this the four essential Chatur Shloki Bhagavad Gita. So we want to look at those texts. We'll just go do all four. I won't read the whole purports or anything, but just uh, you get the idea of this central teaching. And then we look at, this is Krishna speaking to Arjuna in these four texts. And then there's a very interesting response by Arjuna to what Krishna has disclosed to him. So I'll start. Here's uh, here... Uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 8, the first of these. Uh, uh, so Krishna, <coughs> the, the, the first two texts, Krishna is describing his devotees. Although it sounds like he's talking about it, he talks about himself first, but he's really, uh, this first two texts are about his devotees how their attitude or how they view Krishna. And then the next, the second two texts, how Krishna responds to his devotees. So there's a very interesting uh, relationship. Krishna's understanding of how his devotees view him and how he responds, uh, reciprocates uh, with his devotees. So text eight, Aham sarvasva prabhavo mataha sarvam pravartate iti matva bhajante mam buddha bhava samandita. So he says here, Aham mataha, he's talking about himself, Krishna. Aham sarvasya prabhavaha. I am the generating source of everything. Uh, in the trans running, I am the source of all spiritual and material worlds. Uh, so Prabhupada expands a little bit on I am the source of everything. I mean everything, all the worlds that are spiritual and all the worlds that are material. The spiritual world of Krishna comes from him. It's there always. The material world Sometimes it's here and sometimes it's not here. It comes and goes. But whatever these worlds are, they come from me. Aham sarvasya prabhavaha. I am the, uh, the source of generation, prabhav. 
of all, all of these things, the spiritual material worlds. And then, matasaravam pravartate, everything emanates from me. It says the same thing, but in a different way. Mata, uh, from me, all these things uh, emanate. They're Krishna's energies that expand. He has his material energy, uh, his spiritual energy, uh, making up the spiritual worlds, his material energy, making up the material world, and then the marginal energy, ourselves, the jiva tattva. We belong, we are the nature of the spiritual energy, but we find ourselves, at least those of us in this room and around us, in the material energy. We are displaced persons. We are spiritual, but now we're in the material energy. But in any case, these, this, is, this is the point Krishna is making is I'm the source of everything. Everything emanates from me. Uh, this means what Krishna is saying is that, is that he is Brahman. Uh, in the Vedanta Sutra, Janma Dasa Yataha. Brahman is that from which everything comes. So sometimes people think of Brahman as something impersonal. But here Krishna is saying, I am that Brahman. So that definition that everybody knows from the Vedanta Sutra, Brahman is that from which everything comes. Krishna is saying, it's me, the person. Iktimatva bhajante mam, buddha bhava samanvita. And then, uh, knowing me in this way, so, so this is how the, the, he's now ta- the devotees, they know me in this way, as the source of everything, as the ultimate truth. Uh, knowing me in this way, ittimatva, thus knowing me, thus understanding me, bhajante mam, they become devoted to me, they worship me. Uh, this is their, their, so now he's really is talking about the devotees. First, how, how they recognize me or understand me. And second, their response is, they worship me. Uh, how do they worship uh, uh, me? samanvita uh, Buddha, they know me this way. Itimatva, they worship me. Buddha, the devotees are described here as Buddha, from which we get the word Buddha from, the same root. Uh, that they are smart, they're realized, they're learned. Prabhupada, in the word for word, uh, Buddha, the learned, uh, or he says, the wise, those who are wise, uh, uh, they, they, they worship me, bhava samanvitaha, with all their hearts, or with great attention. You can take it anyway. So, I am the source of all spiritual and material worlds. Everything emanates from me. The wise who perfectly know this engage in my devotional service. This is bhajante mam. They worship me. Uh, and worship me 
with all their hearts. So here's Krishna's first discussion of the uh, of what the devotees do. And therefore, and in his purport, which is a little long, I won't read it, but through just to show that what the devotees are doing is not weird or off the map, he quotes from uh, the Vedas and the Upanishads and so many other uh, texts which confirms what Krishna is saying here. Uh, that that uh, 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 all the Vedic literature, uh, it says that uh, uh, Krishna was there in the beginning, uh, that the Lord created all beings, uh, this uh, uh, Brahmanyo Devaki Putra, the Supreme Brahman is the son of Devaki, Krishna, and so on. So he has all these things to show. That the word Buddha, learned, uh, educated for devotees, uh, is not wrong. Because here, this is the understanding that's found uh, throughout the Vedic uh, literature. Uh, so he's... Remember... Uh, Arjuna and Krishna are like friends. Krishna is uh, descended on the world. He and Arjuna have a relationship of friendship. Now this, this book, uh, the Bhagavad Gita is spoken at the beginning of a battle, uh, uh, which Arjuna is not quite sure he should fight. Krishna is acting as his chariot driver. Krishna is a king. He's not like a chariot driver, a cab driver or something. You know, he's a he's a king. But because he's his friend, he's agreed that I will I will drive your chariot. He's taking even a subordinate position uh, to his friend. So he, this is what he says, uh, it, saying what, what his position is, the source of all spiritual and material worlds. Everything emanates from me. The wise who perfectly know this engage in my devotional service and worship me with all their hearts. And now the next verse, he explains further how his devotees behave. Matchitta matkata prana bodhayantaha Parasparam kantayantaschamam nityam tushanti cha ramante cha. Machitta. Literally, uh, their minds or their consciousness or their attention is given over to me. They're thinking about me all the time. Machitta. Matgata prana. Even their very life force is uh, handed over to me. They've de- de- dedicated their prana, their life force to Krishna. Huh? Uh, Prabhupada translates this, the thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me, and their lives are fully devoted to my service. So when Prabhupada translates this, he expands upon the meaning, but the Sanskrit is just you know, matchitta, matkata prana, very few, very condensed. Huh? Bodhiyantaha uh, parasparam, uh, and they are uh, uh, 
enlightening each other. The same word that's been used uh, for Buddha, uh, the devotees, as, as wise. Uh, the same root is their the bodhiyantaha. They uh, enlighten one another or uh, <clears throat> in the word for word Prabhupada translates this bodhiyantaha as preaching. Parasparam among themselves, but prosperam means each other, literally. They are uh, enlightening one another. Kanteyascha chamam nityam and talking about me. Nityam, regularly or all the time. Nityam can mean either continuously or on a regular basis. Uh, so, uh, and tushante cha ramante cha and doing this they f- become very happy or pleased and ramante they enjoy great bliss huh? the thoughts of my pure devotees this is the running translation the thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me their lives are fully devoted to my service and they derive great satisfaction and bliss from always enlightening one another and conversing about me. See that nityam, that always enlightening one another and conversing about me. You don't get tired of talking about Krishna. Or even if you take this book uh, and uh, you, you read this book and because of this book you start to practice Krishna consciousness and then a year later you start to read it again there's all kinds of things you discover you missed the first time and if you advance in Krishna consciousness and then you read it again it's like oh there's more stuff it's, there's no end to it actually it always gets better uh-huh. and so this is what comes and in a sense uh, when we read this book, we, we are listening to Srila Prabhupada talk about Krishna. Uh, and there's, there's already enlightening one another and conversing about me. We're doing it through the medium of literature. So this is the first, this is now Krishna is describing his devotees, uh, how, uh, how, how they, they act. Uh, uh, when they are uh, 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 involved in Krishna consciousness. Here's, here's Prabhupada's little, uh, pr- something from his purport. He is his pure devotees, uh, uh, whose characteristics are mentioned here, engage themselves fully in the transcendental loving service of the Lord their minds cannot be diverted from the lotus feet of Krishna. That becomes, as we would say, the default setting. Uh, if you have to think about something else, uh, how, who is going to repair the washing machine or something like that, your mind may have to go away, but then it comes immediately back to Krishna again. Uh, whatever you may have to think about something else, this is the... The default setting is Krishna. Uh, uh, 
their minds cannot be diverted from the lotus feet of Krishna. Their talks are solely on the transcendental subjects. Uh, uh, so anyway, you you can uh, you can read this for yourself, uh, and uh, uh, Prabhupada gives how gradually uh, one will develop to this by practicing Krishna consciousness. You receive the seed of it. You begin practicing. Uh, that practice just sitting down and chanting Hare Krishna, which is, you know, all you have to know is three words, Hare Krishna and Rama, and you start chanting. And because Krishna is present in his names and is the supreme pure, uh, we become purified. And as we become purified, uh, we will begin to uh, feel our relationship with Krishna. We, will, we can experience ourselves as a spiritual being. Our consciousness becomes clearer. Right now, everything in the world is conspiring to fill our consciousness with garbage. So, by chanting Hare Krishna, the garbage gets chased out. When the consciousness becomes clear, we can understand this idea, Aham Brahmasmi, that I am spirit, I'm, I, am, I am a spiritual being. I'm, that means I'm not the body. Uh, I'm, I am a spirit soul. That means I'm not this body. It also means, by the way, I'm not the mind, which is even better news. <laughs> when, when, when we, according to the, 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 uh, the descriptions in... in uh, in the Vedas, when, when we, we transmigrate from one body to another, but we bring with us the subtle body. The mind is called the subtle body, the shukshma sharira. This is the stula sharira, the gross body. And then there's a subtle body. So when we change bodies at the time of death, uh, the gross body goes, but we take the subtle body with us. So it's been with us for a very long time. When we are liberated from the subtle body, freed from the subtle body, then we go back to God and then we're liberated. But otherwise, the subtle body, which is full of so many desires and hates and longings and resentments and anger, and oh, who, who knows where we've been and what we've done. Uh, it's like people wake up in the morning drunk after a party. My God, I did something horrible. I can't remember what it is. We, we uh, come into this world and we've got a history which we don't remember. But that's there in the subtle body. And, uh, and uh, so that's brought with us. So there's all kinds of garbage in there. So that garbage starts to go away when we chant Hare Krishna. And we, our consciousness becomes clear. We, the, the, the uh, modes of passion, the modes of ignorance start to decrease. That is to say, uh, tendency for intoxication, for oblivion, uh, blotting things out. That's the mode of ignorance. Uh, becoming, uh, getting our minds narrowly fixed on some object of desire. Uh, money, the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever, some sex object, 
fixed fixated on that uh, then you you get that and you're not satisfied and you go to the next one and the next one you notice the people who are want money so so they get a, a billion dollars they say okay that's enough no now I want two billion <laughs> it goes on this is the mode of passion it burns like fire and is never satisfied so the what 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 chanting Hare Krishna does the symptom is that you will see the modes of passion and modes of ignorance decrease if you're chanting with a little bit of attention and care this will decrease and the mode of goodness will become more and more prominent and then you can begin to actually have actual knowledge uh, that's what will happen uh, this is how it how, how we get to this position that's being described here of being completely in love with Krishna because then you discover yourself as a spiritual being and there's all, we are the Atma but with the, every Atma there's a Paramatma the Super Soul who's in everyone's heart and that Paramatma also becomes realized that Paramatma is a partial aspect of Krishna. So these things can be discovered. This is the method. People say, oh, I don't know if there's a God, show me God. This is how you see God. This is the way. You won't see God if you look through a telescope or a microscope. That's not the way. This is how you will see God. You have to purify consciousness. Oh, but that may take me five years. Sure. You go to a university and, 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 and you want to see a virus and understand what you're seeing, it'll take you five years too to learn the science and how to use the equipment and everything. This could take you actually no time at all if you re we're really serious. So anyway, this is the devotees who are in this state. Th these are uh, pure devotees. But there's, there's no one ineligible for becoming a pure devotee. The desire should be there, at least some of it, and then you have to get started. So now, having described his devotees, Krishna now describes how he responds to them. This is how their, their attitude toward Krishna. Now here's Krishna's attitude toward them. And this is how we can now begin to actually come very close to Krishna and understand Krishna. Tesham satatayuktanam, this is verse 10.10. Tesham satatayuktanam, bhajatam priti purvakam, dadami bhuti yogam tam yenamam upayantete. Unto these people, Tesham unto them, Satatayuktanam, who are always engaged uh, uh, in this way, uh, as, as we have had described, Bajatam Priti Purvakam, rendering uh, uh, loving service in Priti Purvakam, full of ecstasy, actually, with great joy, with great happiness. Uh, uh, 
Dadani Buddhi Yogam Tam. I give them the real intelligence. The word he uses is Buddhi Yogam. Dadami Buddhi Yogam Tam. Yenamam Upayantate. By which they can come to me. So we make this effort to come toward Krishna. Krishna responds, Oh, uh, now I'm going to give you this buddhi yoga. You'll find out uh, throughout the Bhagavad Gita one term uh, for Krishna consciousness or devotional service is buddhi yoga. This word B U D D H I, same as wise, the wise, or the, or the, even the Buddha, buddhi. Uh, but the the uh, uh, and, and Prabhupada mentions in the second chapter uh, that Krishna has used this term already, buddhi yoga, uh, and now he's saying is explain it, explain it. Uh, the word buddhi usually uh, translated as intelligence, but it's also uh, an element in our subtle body. There's the mind, which we've already mentioned, manas, uh, uh, the three uh, subtle elements, manas, mind, above that, buddhi, and above that, ahankara. Uh, these are three uh, uh, layers of the subtle self. Uh, and so this buddhi is intelligence and the intelligence is what directs our attention it's not enough that you see things but there's a question of what you notice or what you don't notice what you recognize what you don't recognize you can see something and not know it I could be in Washington, D.C., and somebody would say, Oh, look, did you look? There was the President of the United States. He walked right in front of me, but I didn't recognize him. And that, so the phenomena of recognition, of being able to see something and recognize what it is. So this buddhi yoga, which directs our attention and governs recognition, this buddhi yoga is how the super soul in our heart directs us. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, to those who want to know me, I give them the intelligence by which they can come to me. If they want to forget me, I also give them the intelligence to forget me. He says, I'm situated in everyone's heart and from me comes remembrance, knowledge and forgetfulness. So if you, the people who can't see God anywhere, who's convinced there is no God, who have some bright arguments that there is no God, Krishna gives them those arguments. That's the buddhi. But if we want to remember Krishna, then Krishna gives us remembrance. So this is buddhi yoga. So, and then yoga just means to connect. So it's how that is used to connect us with Krishna, and therefore Prabhupada calls it real intelligence. And Prabhupada says, 
Buddhi yoga is the process by which one gets out of the entanglement of this material world. The ultimate goal of progress is Krishna. Uh, so this is this is uh, Buddhi yoga is is described here, and then Prabhupada mentions a person can have a bona fide spiritual master, may belong to a spiritual organization, but still may not be bright enough to make much progress. Very sincere, but maybe not too smart. What happens? Krishna gives him instructions. He gives him guidance from within. You, it's a very common experience that, that when we are very inquisitive to our spiritual advancement, we will discover, pick up a Bhagavad Gita, open it up, and here's the verse, that, the, the words that just you need to hear, that tells you what you should know. This will happen quite often. Or you'll meet somebody who'll say what you want to do. Or you'll even hear somebody in the next room say something but that. Krishna controls this. He, he shows us the way to go. So I give them the understanding by which they can come to me. And when that, that kind of thing starts to happen, a devotee becomes filled with gratitude for Krishna. You can now see that I'm, I'm not by myself. <clears throat> that when I wanted to come to Krishna, he made all arrangements. He sends his devotees so we can associate with them. <coughs> he gives us, anyway, makes all provisions. Uh, you, you, my, by the way, let me I'll tell you a little personal story, just, just to verify this. Before I had ever met any Krishna devotees, at least knowing it, so I was in religious studies, this, uh, uh, they had just started in America, this, this academic study of religion, an idea that we had stolen really from the Germans, Religionswissenschaft, you know, that you're going to study religion not from a, a uh, uh, confessional point of view, not as a priest or a minister, but just religions as a human activity. Then, then you could. So I wanted to look at all religions. I had studied philosophy as an undergraduate and been not satisfied with that. So let me study religions. And all the philosophers I knew in the philosophy department hated religion, and I started to think that maybe there's something to it. Anyway, I was curious. So there was this new thing, this department of religion studies. So I was. Uh, so I had taken you know, three different uh, Hinduism courses and read the Bhagavad Gita the three different translations. And I was really fascinated with the Bhagavad Gita. But it was very hard. So anyway, I had this class. We are again reading a new translation. And, and I have to say that all the teachers of Hinduism were all adherents to the impersonalist school. They thought this was standard Hinduism was what we call Mayavada. Uh, and that Krishna is also Maya. In fact, they were Indians. They were Bengalis for that matter. And they're all 
brainwashed by the Ramakrishna mission version of Hinduism, if you're familiar with that. Anyway, so they pre all presented a certain point of view. Uh, so but I was reading this a new translation of the Bhagavad Gita that just came out. Uh, and I, I thought, this time I read it, that actually what the Bhagavad Gita is teaching is surrender to Krishna. I couldn't believe it. I read again, and I think that's what it's teaching. I thought it was my original discovery. Because <laughs> all the professors, nobody was saying that, you know. So I had a paper due on the ethics of the Bhagavad Gita. And I wrote what the teacher wanted us to say you know, about the ethics of the Bhagavad Gita. And then the last page I talked about how the Bhagavad Gita is actually teaching surrender to Krishna. And the teacher gave me a B instead of an A because I said that. <laughs> it wasn't something that the professor had been teaching. But anyway, so when I thought the Bhagavad Gita was saying surrender to Krishna, I thought, you know, if the Bhagavad Gita is saying that, that's what I should do. And I was sitting at our dining room table and I had the Bhagavad Gita in front of me and I went like this. I closed my eyes. I said, surrender, surrender, surrender. I looked, nothing happened. <laughs> but within a month, I'm walking across campus and I hear this ching, 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 ching. And the first time I see... Hare Krishna devotees chanting on, on, on our campus. They had come down from New York to start, a, to start a temple in Philadelphia, and they were, were chanting Hare Krishna. And I didn't quite you know, put them together with this Bhagavad Gita, but there they were. And I went up to one of them. I was interested because... Uh, you know, when I was a child in our church, we would collect money to send missionaries to India. So, but I thought, wow, look, the missionaries are coming this way. That's a big change. <laughs> I thought, that must be it, so let me check it out. So I went and talked to a devotee and got, got a piece of literature. And then a friend I knew from college called me up. He said, hey, man. There's this far out love feast. You got to come, you know, he, he'd been to the temple and, and here I am. So, but I, you know, it started with this surrender and then looking, you know, when Krishna's in the heart, you, you know, you're, you're asking, you know, he'll come. I mean, that's just my example. There are many stories like that. When you, when you really want Krishna, he responds. And so he says he's looking for us. So these people, he's now he's talking about his advanced devotees. To those who are constantly devoted to serving me with love, I give the understanding by which they can come to me. And then he says, Tesham eva nukampartam maham agyana jam tamaha nashayashyam atmabhavosto jnanadipeda basvataha. For, for them, he says, Anukampa Artham, for the purpose of showing them mercy. Prabhupada translates it to show them special mercy. But th these people. Krishna says, uh, uh, 
अहम अज्ञान जम तमहामी ज्ञान दीपेन he says i and he says atma bhavas to who am situated in their hearts destroy uh this this word is nashayami i destroy the the darkness tamaha agyanajam born of ignorance situated in their hearts i destroy the darkness born of ignorance uh, uh by the lamp, the bright glowing lamp of knowledge. So the darkness is in our heart. Krishna is sitting in the heart. He destroys it for us with the lamp of knowledge. The darkness is born of agyana, ignorance. So it's destroyed by the lamp of knowledge, Gyana Deepa. Uh, that's, that's what he says he does. Uh, so uh, this is how we come to Krishna. The, the, what, it's not just we may hear it from the Bhagavad Gita or from a teacher, but it's also there in our hearts. Uh, and Krishna himself is participating in, in our deliverance from the darkness of ignorance. Why does he do this? Because he wants us back. If you read about Krishna, you know that he's in the spiritual world and he's surrounded by perfect devotees who love him in different ways. He's surrounded by Radharani and the, uh, and the gopis. He has Balaram, he has all the coward boys, all these perfect devotees. We're missing from those groups. Why are we missing? Because we decided, well, I want my own God project. That's what we're in the world, competing to become the supreme, right? That's what we do in this world, try to be better than somebody else. If we're trying to buy this product or that product, so we'll become better than the other person to make more money, so we'll become better to have a certain car, so we'll become better to be smarter than other people. Everybody has their little God project going on. But they all end in the grave, you know. One heap of dust is not much better than another heap of dust. All the corpses are equal. Uh, but that's what happens in the world. We've got our little project going on. Because we, you know, we didn't want to be the servant of Krishna. Now's our chance to rectify that mistake. And Krishna's making it very easy for us to come back to him. And so here he speaks... Uh, by the way, this is very elementary Sanskrit in the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, if you take a university Sanskrit course, you can pretty much read the Bhagavad Gita at the end of a year. It's in the Mahabharata. It's very, very simple Sanskrit. You go from this to Srimad Bhagavatam, you're in a whole other world. So Krishna has explained this very, very simply. The most profound truths in the most difficult Sanskrit literature like the Upanishads, he, uh, the Vedanta Sutra, he's made very clear and very, very simple. Uh, so, and offering this, this mercy to Arjuna, who is a, no, he's a warrior, he's it's very smart, but basically he's not even a, a Brahmana. 
He's, he's a soldier, uh, a prince. Uh, Arjuna's response, oh, by, by the way, earlier in this uh, in in this uh, dialogue, uh, 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 Arjuna has uh, told Krishna, "You know, I'm confused." They, they were like friends, but now he says, "I'm confused. What is my duty?" Uh, now he then he says, "You know, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing." Uh, everything it looks like in this battle, everything I do, whatever I do, it's going to be wrong and there won't be a good end. What should I do? And he says, Sishyateham, I am your student. I am your pupil. Shadimam, uh, please instruct me. Tom Prapanam, I am surrendered to you. So he, now the relationship is from that point on, uh, Krishna is the teacher, Arjuna is the student. Krishna is the guru, Arjuna is, is the disciple. Uh, and, and so here's these four essential instructions. And then uh, Arjuna says, his response in text uh, 12 and 13, um, he says to Krishna, Param Brahma, Param Dhamma, Pavitram Paramam Bhavam. You are the Param Brahman. You are the Supreme Brahman. Uh, he's acknowledging Krishna's position. You are the Supreme Brahman. Uh, uh, you, the ultimate abode, the purest, the absolute truth. You are the eternal transcendental, original person, the unborn, the greatest. These are the words that he's uh, using here. Purusham, uh, Shasvatam, Divyam, Adi Deva, the first of the Devas, the supreme uh, 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 God who's unborn and, uh, and the greatest. And then he says in the second of the verse, uh, you you have declared this to me, but it's not just you. And then he lists all the sages, all the, all the rishis, the devarshis, Narada, Asita, Devalavyas, all these have also said the same thing about you, and now you're saying it to me also. So here, uh, Arjuna, is, in case you think he might be just uh, sentimental or off his rocker, uh, he's, he's recognizing actually this has already been said, and now you've said it to me here, but said it in a very brilliant way. I mean, just to put all that in four verses is very, very, and simple Sanskrit, very, very good. So that, that, that's why these, these four verses are called the four essential verses of the Bhagavad Gita. And I suggest, would you have a time, time to look at these? Uh, uh, again, and read Prabhupada's purport uh, in full. This again, this is the the the, the tenth chapter, uh, verses eight, nine, ten, and eleven. And then there's Arjuna's response. You can all please take some time and go over them again. And so now I'll stop and, and see if we have any. Uh, 
Anybody with questions or comments or doubts, fears, whatever? And Prabhupada said, silence means agreement. <laughs> no, it's perfectly queer, it's perfectly fine, you know, that you don't accept everything flat out. Yes? Uh, in the first part, you said about the sukshma sharira and sthula sharira and uh-huh. mind and paramatma. Yeah, no, no, not d- different things. Yeah, sh- the, yeah, mind is the sukshma sharira part. The sukshma sharira has three parts, manas, buddhi, ahankara. Yeah. And then there's the paramatma, yeah. atma, paramatma, yeah. And when the... Uh, Mind and Paramatma leaves the Sthula Sharira. They're what? They leaves the Sthula Sharira and mm-hmm. they enter yeah. into the another one. And you say that the mind is going along with the Paramatma. Mm-hmm. So to go to the Moksha, you need to get freed of mind as well. You need to have only Paramatma along with you. So how to? Get freed out of that, or how to come out of the. Uh, there's a statement. Yeah. So what he if, if, what he's saying is, uh, how do you become free from the subtle body? Uh, because it go when you transmigrate, you take it with you, and uh, liberation is really liberation from the subtle body. Uh, the subtle body is made of material desires, and when they're gone, uh, th- uh, there's a statement uh, that uh, um, I can find out where it is exactly in the Bhagavatam, that devotional service dissolves the subtle body of the living entity. That's what it does. That sub- because that subtle body is the place where all our karma is. Uh, good karma means you take birth again to enjoy some good fortune, you know, you're born handsome, smart, rich, or whatever, you know. That's good, good karma. But then the good karma runs out. You know, all of a sudden, it's just gone finished. The good karma only lasts a certain time. Uh, and then if we do have done sinful things or, you know, the bad karma comes. That also runs out. You can even go up to uh, the, the svarga, the, the, the material heavenly planets, when you have good karma. As soon as the good karma runs out, down you come. Come back down again. It's just like, say you work very hard uh, here, up here in Denmark, and then uh, you have money for a vacation. So you take your savings and you go down again to the Mediterranean or Canary Islands or some nice place. You stay there, you enjoy yourself. Your money's gone, back to Denmark. <laughs> back in the cold, dark winter, you know. <laughs> so this is, this is karma's like that. So, it's, so as long as the subtle body is there, there's some kind of repeated birth and death in the material world. So we have a, a spiritual personality, 
It's not that the soul uh, is not an individual, but what what's our spiritual identity is now sort of not expressed. It's compact. And then when we're released from the subtle body, uh, we discover who we are in relationship to Krishna and our eternal spiritual identity. That's what will happen. So devotional service dissolves the subtle body. Yeah. Yes? Um, this is again uh, regarding subtle body. Uh, we have taken so many millions of lives before this life, mm -hmm. and subtle body is filled with all those memories, but we don't remember what happened in the earlier life. But there are a few exceptions where people, they remember what happened. How does it happen? I don't know how it happens. There are very well documented cases of people who are able to remember their past lives. There was even a professor at the University of uh, Virginia with book titles like 12 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation, where he actually took people, uh, children who spontaneously remembered a past life. Some people try to do this with hypnosis, but he's, you know, that's, wanted to be really clean to find these children who actually remembered a past life and investigated their memories he even has people who are born with a birthmark. Somebody has born when they have a big red splotch. This person remembered dying a violent death. He goes back and finds the police photograph of that person with a bullet hole right here, you know? With, I mean, amazing stuff. But how it happens, I don't know. He doesn't know how it happens, but there are some people who remember. And th those are also documented in the Vedic literature that sometimes people can remember their past lives. Uh, and to me, this is just an empirical fact uh, that, that this happens. Of course, most people don't know the difference between the subtle body and the self, the soul, because the, the consciousness the ability to undergo experiences, that, that comes from the soul. So anywhere there's a living being, there's somebody go undergoing experiences. Uh, uh, people in the West tends to think that, say, a dog is a kind of just a machine. But actually there's a soul there, same kind of soul that we are, but it's in a dog's body and undergoes dog experiences. It has the appropriate subtle body and the appropriate gross body that limit in a certain way. Uh, and uh, that's what they are undergoing. Huh? I guess it's time for kirtan. Yeah, so we have to stop there. Thank you very much, Srila Prabhupada.